This is a podcast about the manosphere, so it may contain references to extremist misogyny and violence, and it will definitely contain lots of swears. Hello. Just a warning that this is a podcast about the manosphere, which may contain references to sexism, misogyny, and definitely lots of swears. Proceed with caution. Hey, Dan, I heard that feminism doesn't care about men's issues. I'm not going to lie, Aileen, whoever told you that was talking a bunch of bullsh**. Welcome to Manosphere Debunked, the podcast where we systematically try to separate the fact from the bullshit. My name is Dan, otherwise known as the Narcissist Psychologist. And my name is Aileen, otherwise known as the Tinder Translator. And so today, Aileen, uh, are you ready for today's episode, episode two? As I'll ever be. I do have a very small glass of wine next to me in case of emergencies. I mean, actually, yeah, uh, that feels appropriate because I think, um, you know, the journey I'm going to take you on today is a bit of a journey through history um, to look at how the manosphere emerged and has evolved over time. And actually, one of the things that you might notice is that it's, um, I guess it's a bit of a tragic story, really. Um, Mm. So, yeah, I feel like wine is probably appropriate. Yeah, I think I could probably always do with a glass of wine on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm I'm interested Um, and intrepid. So let's go. No, I guess I'm trepid, actually. Whatever that is, not really a thing. But you know what I mean? I'm the opposite. Um, (laughs) Full of trepidation? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Full of trepidation. Yeah. Perfect. Um, well, that also fits because you should be. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you some text that I'd like you to read out. And then I just want to give you, and then, you know, once you've read it, I want you to just give me your thoughts. Okay, okay. great. Uh, this is a quote. It's, I don't know who it's from. And it says, feminism is going to make it possible for the first time for men to be free um that's a cool quote i i agree with it i don't think it's happened yet i think the idea of feminism is you know the radical idea that women are humans and the patriarchy slightly dehumanizes us all and puts us in boxes so you know there's boxes that men can get out of too i suppose but you're going to tell me that like andrew tate said this or something now (laughs) (laughs) no not quite not quite um so firstly so firstly, you think it's a good quote, yeah? Good quote, makes sense, you agree with it. Yeah, I feel like I'm being entrapped, but yes, I do think it is a good quote, yeah. Uh, do you think it was a man or a woman who said that? I think it could be either, actually. I don't really have a... Yeah, you can't entrap me that bad. <laughs> I'm going to say a man. I'm gonna say okay, a so man. you're going to say a man. Yes, well, actually, yes, you would be right. It was a man. Um, and I guess if you had to give me a time period, if you had to give me a time period, when do you reckon that was said? I'm going to give you an actual year, just for jokes. Um, Go on. 1979. 1979. Um, Not a bad shout, not a bad shout. We'll get into the 70s later on. But actually, that was said uh, in roughly, yeah, roughly the early 1900s by a man called Floyd Dell. 
Yeah, as early as 1900, a man called Floyd Dell, who was an American newspaper and magazine et editor, uh, and also apparently a literary critic, novelist, playwright, and poet, um, wrote something called, uh, wrote an essay entitled Feminism for Men, which was written in 1914 um, in the socialist magazine called The Masses. Okay, and the essay lays out that men should be involved should be involved with feminist thinking because it because it is closely tied to their economic liberation. As women entered the workforce, they are also taking matters into their own hands, and men should follow. In his words, the world wants men who can call their souls their own, and that is what feminism is going to do for men. Give them back their souls so that they can risk them fearlessly in the adventure of life. So he's a woke king, basically, is what we're saying. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, so, so yeah, so the idea that feminism was going to be helpful for men has been around long before you and I started having this conversation and long before you and I um, had uh, even been conceived and thought about and conceptualized in the grand scheme of things. Why did you have to say conceived and not born? It's just like, Egh. anyway, <laughs> carry on. I meant, I meant, I meant like um, uh, cognitively conceived before we were even thought about. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the whole point of this podcast is to try and think about where the manosphere developed from. And actually its roots um, go back, not, ne not necessarily nearly as far as like 1914, but I guess the idea of um, men feeling, uh, or some men feeling that the role of men within society was quite limited and probably needed some kind of uh, shaking up and that feminism was actually going to be um, the answer. Mm -hmm. Now, um, all this uh, all this journey that I'm going to take you through um, was actually documented in a really, really good podcast series um, called Modern Manhood. And it's uh, from the second season, which actually, um, I think it's about seven episodes. So I'm just going to give you a potted history. But if any of this strikes as, any, um, as interesting to anybody, I would suggest going to listen to the full podcast series. It's actually really fascinating. Yeah, but you should also listen to our podcast because we're definitely going to say some original stuff too. <laughs> Jesus, Dan. I just like to direct people to free information. You just, you're just almost too honest. No, I'm joking. Carry on. Okay, so so almost like the true roots then start in the 1970s. So your first chat about um, that quote coming out of 1979 starts in the 1970s. Have you heard of the men's liberation movement? I have. I have. Okay. What's your understanding of the men's liberation movement? Um, so not to be confused with the men's rights movement, I believe. It was uh, something that was kind of alongside the second wave feminist movement in the 70s, which was the women's lib, that's what they called themselves. Um, and the men's liberation movement was basically saying like, men are also trapped or disadvantaged or whatever by patriarchy. And we also need to be liberated from it, I believe. You know what, I'm just I'm just going to stop doing the podcast now, because <laughs> there's no fucking point in me giving you any new information. <sighs> Why is that all you've got? Is that the whole podcast? If I just yeah, literally, it? yeah, that's literally the whole podcast. Yeah, yeah, done and dusted. Okay, um, cool. end roll credit. Look, I know things, <laughs> mate. You just gotta roll with the punches. <laughs> no, yes, you are a very, you are, you are a very good feminist. You know your feminist history. Well I'm done. Uh, somehow emasculating you through my feminism, which I think is, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And if I was in any way, um, shape or form, very attached to my masculinity, I definitely would be emasculated. Um, Good to know. So you're absolutely right. 
<laughs> so the men's liberation movement was initially an ally of feminism with shared knowledge of the damage incurred by both men and women from rigidly enforced sex roles. It was recognized that not only was sexism harmful to women, but men also suffered as a result of strictly enforced expectations of masculinity resulting from the patriarchy. Um, as psychologist Jack Sawyer stated, male liberation calls for men to free themselves from the sex role stereotypes that limit their ability to be human. Stereotypes included how men related to women, questions of power and dominance in public and private life, and the ability to fully express emotions. Sounds great. And then, and then everyone got together and we all solved it. And that's the end of the story, right? <laughs> This is like um, this is like the prequel of the Manosphere, isn't it? This episode, basically. Yeah, yeah. it's the prequel of the Manosphere. Yeah, how it all went wrong. And I guess this is why it's a bit tragic, really, um, because I guess uh, men's liberation movement had a prominent spokesperson. Have you ever heard of Warren Farrell? I think we might have mentioned him in the first episode. Have you heard of him before? Yeah, I think I have. I feel like I've Googled his name and looked at the names of his books, but I can't really remember now. Yeah, we'll get into his more um, uh, recent books in a little bit. But for now, Warren Farrell was one of the sort of leading men within the men's liberation movement. So he wrote a book called The Liberated Man, along with many others, talked openly about men's liberation with the media and even co-founded a men's consciousness raising chapter of the prominent feminist organization, the National Organization of women. He was even friends with Gloria Steinman. So you're going to have to tell me if that's like a really good shout because I'm not sure who Gloria Steinman is. Um, well, her name's Gloria Steinem for a start, but... Um, Steinem. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Gloria Steinem. Yeah, there we go. I mean, I can't believe you don't know who Gloria Steinem is. Jesus Christ. Whew. I'm embarrassed. Okay. I'm embarrassed. Does that make me a bad meninist? And not a bad meninist, but potentially a, a not very aware feminist, I'd say. She's a very, very prominent member of the <laughs> women's liberation movement in the okay. in America in the 60s and 70s. No, okay. it's all right. It's fine. I'm sure lots of our okay. listeners also don't know who she is. And that's good. That's fine. Um, what I might do is after this episode, I might go read about her and also learn how to say her surname correctly. <laughs> um, regardless of... <laughs> <laughs> regardless of the men's liberation failure to launch oh right so basically it was a um movement that started um but it it didn't really go very far mm -hmm. one of the main criticisms which um i'm not gonna lie is a criticism that kind of runs through everything that i'm going to be talking about today is that it was very specific in the sort of type of men that were involved they came from a particular demographic they had particular interests um there was a particular economic ability that allowed them to i guess even think about getting involved in this kind of stuff and then i guess anyone any other kind of men that didn't fall along sort of like the heteronormative white framework were kind of not really considered. Mm -hmm. And that's, you can say the same of a lot of the 70s feminist movements, right? Like, yeah. So they kind of, yeah, they kind of catered to a specific um, type of person. Um, but, you know, not to take away from it, it, it certainly had a good idea. It certainly tried to get started. Um, and I think, I think in, in various different bits and bobs, I think there is still um, parts of sort of men's liberation out there now. I guess certainly before I started um, doing this podcast and learning about this and looking into this, I was certainly unaware that there, were, that, that there had been a men's liberation movement. So it's probably very possible that other people aren't aware of it either. 
Uh, so regardless of the men's lib failure to launch, it remains an important point in history because it demonstrates the beginning of the idea that female liberation can go hand in hand with male liberation. Mm -hmm. It also created enough meaningful discourse surrounding men breaking away from the male gender roles to fuel an actual movement, albeit a small mm -hmm. one. So that's pretty much the 1970s. And that's kind of where the fruits of all of this started. Then we move into the 1980s. Great decade. A lot, lot of great people born <laughs> in that decade, I hear. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Especially around sort of like the uh, mid mid eighties, I think, is mm -hmm. a good time to yeah, have been that's born. That's what I hear actually. That's how funny. <laughs> so in the nineteen eighties, this is where the men's right movement sort of appears. So you were talking about how um men's lib was different from men's rights. And you're absolutely right. So men's liberation was about liberation of men from sort of the, the structures of patriarchy and patriarchal society and getting away from strict gender norms. Men's rights, well, men's the men's rights movement was spearheaded by mostly men and are, mo <laughs> and are a mobilized group connected by the concern over perceived social and institutional structures that discriminate against men and boys. So um, not to go over too much old ground, but we kind of spoke about this in the first episode. Um, yeah. MRA's steadfast vitriol against women and feminism is what separates MRA movements and the rest of the men's movement. MRA's targeted toxicity and blame towards feminism poured gas onto the anti-feminist movement, leading not only to harassment and doxing campaigns, but also many tragedies. Unfortunately, the modern version of it also started from an unlikely source. Guess who started it? Whoever is not Colin Farrell, but... Um... Someone. <laughs> no, it wasn't Colin Farrell. So the unlikely source was a prominent feminist turned MRA named Warren Farrell, who once used to be a member of now, which we've already gone over. And he, he wrote a book around this time called the myth of male power, uh, and is referred to as the MRA Bible after leading thousands of men to turn to the MRA cause because of an argument around child custody. Sigh. So the argument, an argument in his book. No, no. So the story of how Farrell turned his back on feminism is interesting and a lesson in how toxic masculinity and individual ego contained even the staunchest feminist. Farrell's claim that he had been fighting for men when he turned his back on feminism cannot be uncoupled by the fact that Farrell was facing his own divorce at the time, especially oh. when you consider a quote like this. Right, I'm going to send you the quote and I want you to react. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. you ready? Sent it to you. I began to see men's vulnerability in other ways. After divorce, a man is 10 times as likely to commit suicide as is the woman. Why? Women are more likely to have the children, someone to love them and need them. People who feel loved and needed rarely commit suicide. Okay. I feel like there's a lot to unpack there. Um, mm -hmm. It's basically the idea that um, he was going through a divorce and obviously he was going through a custody battle with um, his wife at the time. And somehow because things were obviously not necessarily going his way or there were issues around child custody, which is, you know, which is an issue that men do struggle with and there are reasons for that. And that's one of the things that we'll get in into later mm -hmm. episodes. But I guess the whole idea is that this man who was a feminist, who sort of stood side by side with women, um, 
championing this idea that feminism was, you know, something that could free men was then suddenly experiencing this sort of um, one very sort of particular um, experience that some men have where he felt that women were favored and he suddenly then thought that actually, no, you know, fuck this, you know, it's women that have the majority of power in society because in places like, you know, child custody courts, again, you know, not to dismiss anybody that's going through something like that. It must be really tough. I haven't experienced it, but he took that one personal experience and it somehow managed to shift his entire view of how society is structured. <sighs> and he suddenly then became a men's rights activist and suddenly started to, um, champion the idea that men are the underdogs in society and men are the ones who are um hard done by which again is not to say that men aren't hard done by but it's just it was just a, it's just very wild i have thoughts but i need to sip my emergency wine first <laughs> anyway um yeah like imagine like one thing happens in your life where you're not favored and then you're like actually it's men who were oppressed. Like this seems to be what's happened here. And imagine not being able to like critically think about, you know, you've got this ideology of the constructs in, that men and women are in. And actually a lot of the stuff that men's rights activists say about custody isn't actually true. But if you're going to, you know, say, well, women are more likely to get the kids because they're seen as the caregivers. Yeah, that's, that's what you've been talking about, mate. Like you don't have to change your ideology. But apparently you do because you're cross. Yeah. And again, you know, you and I outside of this podcast have had many conversations where we've talked about the idea that men's rights activists kind of, they see the line, they're running towards the line, they're about to cross the line. And then all of a sudden they just fucking swing the other direction. And then they just start running parallel toward, along the line and then back in the other direction. And they just completely <laughs> missed the point. And it's like, fuck, okay. So you've noticed something where women aren't necessarily favored, but a structure or a system works in a particular way based on a certain sort of societal norm or understanding of a nuclear family structure. And instead of going, oh, actually, the, the, the system and society is something that needs to change, you just go, oh, no. Um, men are favored less than women and women have all the power and men, uh, we need to just stop. Feminism has gone too far. Yeah, yeah. Did did courts not used to give women custody? Like, it's not a feminist fe feminist thing. Like, this, a lot of the stuff that MRAs complain about wasn't, like, the 70s didn't change it. Do you know what I mean? It was already like this. Yeah, I don't believe that one of the feminist agendas is that they fought harder to have custody over children. This was something that I believe, and again, we've not necessarily gotten to the research about this particular area, but my understanding is that this is something that this is the way it's always been. Yeah, there would have been a time when men were seen as um, just that their children belonged to them so they could have them if they wanted to. But by the time that this guy's kicking off about it, it's been a while. It's been a while of like nuclear family established patriarchal standards bullshits. But then again, I mean, there just it wasn't very widespread divorce. I think one of the reasons they're angry is because like women are divorcing them now and they weren't didn't sign up for that. So, yeah. So um, so that's pretty much where MRA started. And um, the book, The Myth of Male Power is uh, now referred to the MRA Bible. 
and that's pretty much what uh, most men will read and quote. Um, the other book that uh, Warren Fowler read, which I haven't read, and I'm very interested in reading, is The Boy Crisis. When was that? Was that 90s or something? Or uh, I think that's more recent. I think that's sort of okay. um, 2000s, 2000s-ish. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. Cool. So, is he still alive or is he writing in hell now? Warren Farrell? No, no. Um, interestingly, I saw a clip of him having a chat to Jordan Peterson on Jordan Peterson's podcast. What a surprise! <laughs> so yeah, so that is the company that they keep of each other, mm -hmm. Farrell and Peterson. That's probably the first podcast mention of, of JBP. Mm. Probably the first of many at some point. Uh, mm. I'd say probably will come up, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So moving on then from the eighties to the nineties, the next kind of iteration within sort of like the men's movement and moving towards the manosphere is the mythopoetic men's movement. Have you heard of the mythopoetic men's movement? I have indeed. Yes. Okay. What do you know about the mythopoetic men's movement? The mythopoetic men's movement was this kind of, it emerged, I think it became big in the nineties, but I think it emerged earlier than that um from this idea that like modern society had sort of stripped men of their original masculinity which was not toxic and not sort of authoritarian in the way that like dads would you know beat their sons or whatever but more in a in a kind of like dynamic spiritual way apparently they would use quite a lot of stuff that was from well cultural appropriation essentially but you know after vietnam some veterans came and came home and their Native American colleagues took them to sweat lodges and did things like that, that were, you know, ritualistic, but in their culture. But and then, you know, the white men took it and did it with a load of white men in the woods and did drumming circles and stuff like that. So it's about reclaiming sort of I don't know what they called it. I don't think they called it. Maybe they called it healthy masculinity. I'm not sure. But um it was very dynamic and masculine in the very traditional sense, but not in the kind of violent sense, I suppose. Um, and some of it sounded great. And then you read more into the books and it's not so great. No, you're absolutely right. So you've actually hit the nail on the head with quite a few things there. So the mythopoetic men's movement uh, was a body of self-help activities. So this is from Wikipedia, by the way, um, and therapeutic workshops and retreats for men undertaken by various organizations and authors in the United States from the early 80s through to the 1990s. The term mythopoetic was coined by Professor Shepard Bliss, uh, and mythopoets adopted a general style of psychological self-help inspired by the work of Robert Bly, Robert A. Johnson, Joseph Campbell, and other Jungian authors. Okay, so coming around to your um, mm -hmm. appropriation stuff. Groups formed during the mythopoetic men's movement typically avoided political and social advocacy in favor of therapeutic workshops and wilderness retreat retreats, often using Native American rituals such as drumming, chanting and sweat lodges. These rituals were done with the aim of with the personal growth of participants with the intended purpose of connecting spiritually with a lost deep masculine identity or inner self. That's what I just said, babe. You don't need to repeat it. Oh, I don't know. Why are you mansplaining it to me? Sorry, I was just trying to highlight how exactly bang on the money you were there. Thanks. I, I promise I didn't read the Wikipedia. Well, I probably did at some point, but not today. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It sounds like you did read it word for word. <laughs> um, I guess there's loads of criticisms about it. So uh, the idea is that, um, for one, 
there initially at the at the time there was a lack of men of any other kind of race other than caucasian and white uh, so it lacked any sort of inclusion of black men or even i guess native american men considering the fact that they used a hell of a lot of the sort of um traditional um practices rituals ritual. and yeah practices yeah um so it's mostly mostly middle class white men and i guess one of the strongest criticisms is that on the one hand it was you know the first time men were taking the opportunity to kind of look after themselves you know do things that were really sort of moved away from the whole industrialization idea of the sort of you know 70s 80s 90s getting in touch with wilderness and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. it was you know it was quite good um but it was very sort of self self-involved and i don't mean that necessarily in like mean way but in the other sense it was pretty much not directed towards any kind of social change yeah. you know for one again it excluded black men gay men it didn't necessarily have a purpose other than men looking after themselves which on the one hand is very good but on the other hand when you were talking about sort of toxic masculinity one of the other drawbacks is that they blamed this idea of masculinity becoming toxic because of the feminization of men so the idea that you know feminism was influencing society it was changing the way that men saw themselves that men were becoming i think you know in the 1980s there was a lot of glam rock um, freddie mercury um david bowie all these men were sort of dressing up in um uh, really glitzy and sort of outlandish costumes and all that kind God of stuff forbid. but and i guess one of the ideas was that they felt that this deep masculine this protective warrior identity was kind of being stripped away and therefore um that was the that was why all this toxic masculinity was coming out so this increase in aggression increase in dominance increase in all this kind of behavior so one of the ways in which to kind of deal with the toxic idea of masculinity was to go back into the wilderness and to sort of get in touch with the deep masculine nature of of themselves to get back in touch with sort of true masculinity for the uh for the listeners i'd just like to say that i'm rolling my eyes and kind of holding my hands up in a like what the fuck are you talking about way um <laughs> why what are they talking about it's sorry i, I know you're not finished i uh, continue uh, i'll that's try and okay. circle back um <laughs> that's okay um i guess what this for me i guess what this kind of smacks of is maybe really early men going their own way kind of vibes mm -hmm. where yeah. they're like oh women women are too much we just need to men just need to guard into the woods and we just need to you know i be wish in touch they with, would um <laughs> We need to go get in touch with the, these deep ancestral Jungian archetype ways of thinking, which again, most of them were probably appropriated from other um, tribal nationalities. But yeah, mm -hmm. I guess that's the myth of poetic men's movement. Didn't they start the whole kind of like they, in a way, they were like the first kind of proper masculinity influences in that they had like conferences and like obviously they had the retreats and stuff, but they also, I think, had like speaker tours and talked about like what it's like to be a man and stuff like that and you know generally like made a lot of money off of it yeah no they were definitely the first kind of group of people who created um sort of weekend away retreats where they offered packages and they got people to pay them a hell of a lot of money and took them away for a weekend and um i guess you know this is why it was only accessible to a particular type of man again you know middle, middle class mm -hmm. white men um who were the ones that were able to afford it and 
again, the idea of appealing to a particular deep masculine sense kind of left out anyone else that didn't fit. It's really ironic, isn't it? So, the you know, they wanted to get away from the idea of toxic masculinity by moving towards a very more traditional sense of masculinity, which kind of then excluded anyone else that didn't fit that particular type of masculine narrative. So it's... And also, like, such a capitalist model, like, the the fact that they are, like, going, like, industrialization and the you know the breakdown of the family and whatever caused by all you know when having to go out to work and then they're charging fucking like package holidays it's, it's just like this is not counterculture at all except that you're going in playing some drums in the woods it's not it's just anyway yeah so again of all the movements that came before it apart from the men's lib movement um and all the movements to come after it it's probably one that maybe has had some benefit to the idea of shaping the idea that men can kind of go out and express themselves and find healthier ways of being and yeah. maybe look after their well-being and aren't necessarily tied into just being a breadwinner or a worker or some kind of production ant or cogna wheel mm -hmm. but at the same time very sort of lacked a lot of self-awareness lacked a lot of sort of social awareness mm -hmm. um and at the end of the day again kind of one of their main gripes was that feminism has in some shape or form impacted on men's ability to be traditional men yeah if only but anyway carry on <laughs> okay so then we move from the 90s into the early 2000s which is kind of like the red pill era yay can't wait <laughs> yeah this is where things get um pretty pretty bad the advent of the internet and blogging made way for the influence of the pickup artists community um to become popular online so i know that in the next episode you're going to delve into this a bit more so we're not going to touch too much on this mm. um i don't want uh i don't want my experience of that to be ruined <laughs> spoiler alert it's <laughs> trash <laughs> I guess it's all kind of started with um, the game written by Neil Strauss. Again, I'm not going to expand on that too much because you're going to go into that in more depth. But one of the um, people, one of the most notable sort of people that was influenced by pickup artistry culture was somebody called Roosh V. Have you heard of Roosh V? Yeah, I have. I don't know a lot about him, but I've heard the name okay. for sure. Okay, so um, his real name is Dariush Val Valizade, um, according to Wikipedia, and I'm pretty sure I have not got that name pronunciation correct, but he is known as an alt-right American blogger and former pickup artist. Mm, my favorite kind of blogger. <laughs> and basically, in a nutshell, um, I'm going to read this actually from Wikipedia. So, uh, Rushvi began his writing career with advice based on pickup artist culture, although by 2016 no longer identified with the term. So he identified a system of beliefs called uh, right, neo-masculinity, which he described as a combination of biology and traditional beliefs of masculinity and as a rejection of Western degeneracy. He advocates for <laughs> he advocates for adherence to traditional heteronormative roles for men and women, and believes that feminism has harmed women, men, and society in general. 
Okay. Can I just say, like, how how is pickup artistry not part of Western degeneracy? Like, I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but if it does, men going out and trying to game as many women as they can in a night is surely part of it, for fuck's sake. Like, fuck off. Yeah, no, no, fair point. I think what you're expecting, um, Aileen, is that for these people to have any kind of awareness of the uh, sort of hypocrisy of their existences. Yeah, some kind of moral consistency, which is, yeah, it is asking too much, to be fair. Yeah, yeah. You know, let's not let's not ask for the moon with these things, shall we? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So one of the reasons why he's uh, really prominent or important in this conversation is because he um, started blogging. So he started writing blogs about how to pick up women on the internet, and it became really popular. And loads of other people started picking up on this, and they started writing blogs, and then you know that's you know forums developed and all sorts of shit, which is why along with the game written by Neil Strauss, um, Rouge V and pickup artistry and the development of the internet is kind of how MRA anti-feminism rhetoric, men who sort of view women in one particular awful way, kind of moved from not being on the internet to being on the internet and then kind of that's Mm -hmm. that's that's how we kind of got online basically that's how we get here yeah fun times fun times i found a paper called the evolution of the manosphere across the web um which essentially Mm -hmm. um is a paper that looked at is it six online communities along with seven or eight other subreddits on reddit and essentially looked at 28.8 million posts from six forums and 51 subreddits going back sort of right to the start sort of like to the early 2000 eras um and this is from the this is from the abstract so overall we paint a comprehensive picture of the evolution of the manosphere on the web showing the links between its different communities over the years We find that milder and older communities, such as pickup artists and men's rights activists, they're considered milder, by the way, are giving way to more extreme ones like incels and men going their own way. With a substantial migration of active users, Moreover, our analysis suggests that these newer communities are more toxic and misogynistic than the former. Oh, that seems good. Yeah, if you go look at this paper, it's really fascinating. It tracks all the online communities and it talks ba- it talks about basically how, like I was saying, with sort of like Rushvi and his um, blogs and all that kind of stuff, the pickup artistry and then kind of men's rights r- rhetoric sort of started on the internet. And then just slowly over time, it just migrates and changes from um, this kind of anti-feminist um, way of thinking and pickup artistry and, you know, Rush V, literally, if you go look on Goodreads, um, oh, actually, I'm going to send you a Goodreads um, profile of Rush V. Um, and I want you to just like read it and then just go through some of the titles of the books he's written. Okay. And um, just give me, just give me your thoughts okay. about where you think of where you think this man's mind's at. <laughs> where where I think he should be launched into, it's going to be the sun. Um, <laughs> okay. So, Rush V is an American pickup artist of Iranian and Armenian descent, known for his writings on seduction and anti-feminism. He writes on his personal blog and also owns the Return of Kings, We More. Oh, no. 
it says website but i had to click more i didn't have any space for it. I was like, what's a ream or uh where he publishes articles and other on other related subjects additionally roosh has self-published multiple books so of course he's self-published them multiple books there's nothing wrong with self-publishing by the way sorry to be snobby um most of which offer advice to men on how to talk to pick up and ultimately sleep with women read some of the read some of the book titles right oh jesus christ dan i don't want to read it out loud okay the first one is called bang more lays in 60 days oh my god it gets worse it gets worse um and then oh oh fuck and then there's uh, day bang how to casually pick up girls during the day great nice a dead bat in paraguay one man's peculiar journey through south america okay that doesn't actually sound that bad oh god and then there's one called free speech isn't free how 90 men stood up against the globalist establishment and won by the way globalist is an anti-semitic dog whistle and it can fuck off and die um but yeah they said that's awful and then the other one's called american pilgrim which i don't know what that is but i don't like it the picture on the the cover of american pilgrim is like a, a road kind of yellow brick road almost a car driving down it and at the end of the winding road is a what looks like an illuminated cross like a sort of come to jesus oh, moment uh, oh it is american pilgrim is a memoir that shares the first year journey of a man upon his decision to repent from an evil a life of evil and to serve jesus christ well that's a twist I wasn't expecting. Oh yeah, so I think he's I think he's found a new lease on life, and he is. Um, I'm, I'm I'm not quite sure what he is. I don't want to misquote it, but I think he's um, no longer a pickup artist. But he's yeah, he's he's essentially tried to backtrack on his old ways. I think yeah, and like it's good for him because famously the evangelical Christian church has no kind of like sexist or like gender binary <laughs> issues. So. I'm really glad he's landed up there. Sigh. Yeah. Hashtag not all Christians. Not all Christians. Um, so along with all those books and along with all these blogs, he is how and why all this kind of rhetoric became sort of more popular and I guess essentially um, arrived mm -hmm. on the internet. Um, then the other thing to mention is that the sort of manosphere as it is now and sort of and, and includes kind of like mras uh, migtows incels all that kind of stuff they believe in the sort of red pill sort of philosophy and what is the red pill philosophy dan well the name derives from a scene in the 1999 film the matrix in which lawrence lawrence fishburne offers keanu reeves a choice you take the blue pill the story ends you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. The rabbit hole, in this case, is the reality, in inverted commas, that women run the world without taking responsibility for it and that their male victims are not permitted to complain. Oh, God. It's essentially the idea of awakening men to feminism's misandry and brainwashing. Cool, 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 cool. Seems fine. Jesus Christ. I don't uh... Yeah. Uh, a lot of a lot of these men's philosophy is based on a science fiction film made in the 90s that had some really awesome graphics mm -hmm. 
and some kick-ass fight scenes. And was written by trans women, it turns out. So in their faces. I like I just I would like to talk to some kind of red pill guy about the facts. That fact. Yeah, I wonder how many I wonder how many of them know and even if they do know I wonder how many of them still kind of like explain it away in some kind of way. Like imagine if you had to sit down with Andrew Tate and just be like, do, do you actually know when you say when you say that you're escaping the matrix and all that kind of stuff, do you know what you're actually talking about? Do you know who you're referencing and do you know what you're referencing? Um, yeah. And I'm sure that he would come up with some kind of cognitive dissonance way to um, explain, explain it away. Yeah. But because he's the top G. He is a top G, but um, in a nutshell, that is how the Manosphere, over time, starting with a little seed planted in the early 1900s, with a little bit more growth in the 1970s about how some men felt that feminism would benefit men in general because of the restrictive nature of gender roles, how that kind of then morphed into one man feeling persecuted and um, disadvantaged in one particular small area of his life, flipped that whole ideology on its head. And um, yeah, we now have the Manosphere. Cool. So basically it's Warren Farrell's ex-wife's fault, all of this. <laughs> she just hadn't divorced him. Yeah, and wanted and um, just gone through the normal proceedings in sort of child custody court. It would be... Uh, yeah, yeah. Things would be all right in the world. Yeah, Jesus. Oh, well, that's a lovely little story, isn't it? What a mm. lovely bit of history. Mm. Sigh. Why hasn't anyone got a normal name? Once it gets to the noughties, they can't just be called their names anymore, can they? They're all fucking... Yeah, well, yeah, people just have to... I think people were potentially... Well, people were potentially really influenced by films like The Matrix, where people got really cool, like, one-word mm. names. <laughs> or um, Fight Club. Or Fight like, Club, yeah. Which we will meet... We will meet a Tyler Durden in the next episode, in fact. So. Oh my God, I actually. That's all I'll say about uh, that. I can't fucking wait. I mean, I can wait. I could wait for quite a long time, <laughs> but um, but I feel like I feel like it's a conversation that needs to happen. So that's what we're discussing next time, is it? You're 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 taking the reins. Yes, indeed. Okay. I'm taking the reins. I'm going to talk about the uh, evolution of the modern discourse of how. It's really hard for men to date because women only want to date the top twenty percent of us. Um, starts with pickup artists and okay. continues into even darker shit, as um, as we know. Yay! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like over the end of every episode is like. <sighs> yeah. So if you feel like you want to continue uh, with us on this journey to despair, um, please. <laughs> Please uh, listen up for next week's episode. Yeah, thank you for joining us for this walk down and horrible memory nightmare lane. Um, and uh, yeah, hope you all go off and do some non-problematic drumming circles um, and get in touch with your deep yeah. masculine, especially the women. Especially Sorry. the women. I said it. Mm -hmm.